Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax. Thank you for joining us, however you're listening to the show, whether it's on Stitcher, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Apple, however you take in your podcast, however you subscribe to the GBB Podcast Network. Thank you so much for doing so. Ways to get in touch with the show, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. I am the site manager of SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com, the team site for the Memphis Grizzlies. You can follow our blog on Twitter if you so choose. I highly recommend it, at SBN Grizzlies. I'm biased, but I think we do some of the best work out there on the Grizz. You can follow this podcast, at GBB Live. You can follow my co-host, who's not with us on this episode, Parker Fleming, at Paca underscore Flocka. He is our associate editor over at GBB, and he has also covered both games at Memphis, one, two, and five. Uh, so he has been uh, our beat writer. He's been our reporter. He's done an amazing job throughout the playoffs and throughout the whole season. Let's so make sure you're following Parker if you don't already do so. Very excited for our guest on this episode of the show. I was very nervous going into this after talking with him a few days ago, setting this up, because I was worried this was going to be my last podcast uh, as I step down from GBB when the playoff run ends. Um, thankfully, I'm not dead yet, and, and I'm excited to be able to preview some Grizzlies basketball talking about the complete bloodletting that uh, the the massacre that occurred and you don't want to use those terms too loosely of course but basketball wise that's exactly what transpired in game five is the Grizzlies embarrassed the Golden State Warriors is probably the best way to put it um, and now we have a game six to talk about in Golden State on Friday night and if I'm the Warriors I'm fairly nervous if I don't win that game, obviously Golden State being the favorite makes total sense. Uh, but we're going to talk about game five and game six with my guest at this time. Very excited to have him on. He's done a great job pulling double duty. Uh, he is actually the New York Knicks beat writer for The Athletic. But no offense, the Knicks are not active right now in the playoffs or the play-in. Uh, so they've sent him to Memphis, who still doesn't have an athletic beat writer. Hopefully that changes sometime in the future. But that's not his fault. Uh, he's done a great job covering the series for The Athletic. Fred Katz, at Fred Katz, K-A-T-Z, on Twitter. Fred, how are you doing, sir? I'm great. I'm excited to be on. I feel like this is like my uh, rite, of, rite of passage into, <laughs> into the Grizzlies media space. So I'm, uh, I'm excited and I'm honored. Well, I appreciate that. There's a few of us that have been doing this a while. Myself, uh, Keith Parrish, who does Fast Break Breakfast, is another one out of Nashville, but he's connected to the Grizzlies now. He's been doing yep, work I've, for I've a been while. on Fast Break Breakfast yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Keith is pretty solid. Um, 
you know, and there's a few of us that have been doing this for a bit. So I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, maybe Chris Vernon would be the highest level of that for you uh, over with Grind City Media. But I, I'll take like second or third tier. That'll work. That'll work for me. And I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. So let's jump right into game five, because to be honest with you, I'm excited to talk about it because I was excited watching the game. Um, covering the team now for almost a decade, you walk the line, right? I'm a credentialed NBA media member, technically. Obviously, when you're sitting in the press row, as you know very well, you, you're composed, you're professional, all those things. You're covering the team. But as a blogger, especially one like me that wasn't on press row, I'm, you know, I do Zoom availabilities because I live in Virginia. I'm watching from my recliner uh, on the television. The Grizzlies fired me up in a way that I have not felt since the peak of grit and grind. In terms of I'm I am a very physical person in terms of my enjoyment of sports. Like I'm a football guy. That's where I I'm a football coach. When I was taught basketball by my father and my grandfather, I was taught that it's a contact sport. Football is a collision sport. Basketball is a contact sport. So I like that physicality aspect. I like the the feeling of and this is going to sound kind of twisted of dominating somebody else in athletic competition. Uh, obviously, this is on a much higher scale than I could ever fathom, but I was just excited to watch a young team like Memphis take a veteran team like Golden State and completely and totally, almost the entire game, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that was one of the most complete victories I have ever seen in the playoffs, no less. Like maybe you want to point to the 73-point win that Memphis had over Oklahoma City. That was against a team that wasn't actively trying to win much this year. Young coach, young team. Um, yeah, that was a ma massive uh, margin, but different circumstances. I don't buy into the idea that Golden State, we can talk more about this in a moment, that Golden State wasn't trying. Or that Golden State, oh, well, they're, they're waiting for game six. This is one of the older teams in the playoffs. This is a group that their best players – are either, you know, I think Steph Curry's 34, Draymond Curry's in his, or Draymond Green, excuse me, is obviously in his 30s. Klay Thompson's coming back from serious leg injuries, and he was arguably the Warrior that played the best in Game 5. I'm not buying that the Warriors were just sleeping on the Grizzlies. I think that maybe they were overlooking them to an extent with jaw out. But at the same time, I think Memphis just completely dominated. I was just curious as to your kind of t overall takeaway from watching that complete dismantling from the Grizzlies at, uh, to the Warriors. I think both of those things happened. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know why the Warriors didn't show up, but I don't think there's, for whatever reason, they didn't show up. They didn't look like themselves. They were sloppy. But that they was were, one of Clay Thompson's best games bad. in the series. That was one sure. of Clay Thompson's best games in the series. Sure. And it was like nobody else's. Sure. Uh, and on top time, of that, they happened to run into the Grizzlies on a night that they were incredible like i think both of those things are true uh i don't think it's possible for one group of nba players to lead another group of nba players by 55 when you're not even in the fourth quarter yet and for the team up 55 to not be playing great and for the team down 55 to not be playing inexplicably terribly the the margin between nba players is just not that large um so I think both those things are true. I thought 
Tyus Jones came in and played an incredible game. I thought Jaron Jackson Jr. came back from a, a game four when he wasn't hitting shots and admitted after that game like he was mad. And then he said, don't worry, I'll get over it, though. And then he came back and he got over it. And right off the bat, he hits four shots in the first quarter and hits a couple of threes. And he was tremendous defensively. I think he looks completely differently, different when he plays the four compared to the five defensively. Uh, Steven Adams destroyed him. Brandon Clark had... Uh, you know, he was good in game one, but I thought this was his best game of the series. This was his best game since the Wolves game. I mean, every single like Kyle Anderson was moving the ball well, like every single like Dylan Brooks went to the hoop when he wasn't hitting jumpers. He actually went to the hoop like every single and played really good defense, like every single Grizzlies player who got into the game played well uh, and and just about every Warriors player played terribly. And that's how a team goes up 55 on the other. How much of that do you give weight to the Grizzlies playing well? And how much of it is, again, like the inside the NBA guys, you know, just completely at times. And it was predictable. I think I tweeted about like, I can't wait to watch this halftime show where they say how disinterested the Warriors are. I can buy into the idea that they played poorly. And I can buy in even to an extent to the idea that without John Morant being up 3-1, they thought this would be easier to end than it was. I, I again, the Grizzlies are one of the youngest teams. I think they said on the broadcast last night that the Grizzlies are the youngest team in 25 years to make it this far in the playoffs. So Memphis is the exception right now. And I think that it's fair to say a veteran team like that may be thought without jaw down three, one, maybe they lie down. Um, I struggle with the lack of credit that the Grizzlies were given for putting the Warriors in that position. Like, the Warriors were 29th in the NBA in turnovers. I wrote about that for GBB on Thursday. Like, the, the idea of your, if you are over or if you are underestimating the Grizzlies at this point, you're making a mistake. The Warriors are bad at turnovers. They have been that way. They don't value possessions the way that other NBA teams like the Grizzlies with Tyus Jones and others do. And Memphis played into that. I think if you rewatch that game, you see the Grizzlies – almost setting up the Warriors in ways, knowing they're going to make reckless passes, trying to put them in those positions. Not all the time. I think it's fair to say every once in a while, there's just a random on a transition break, for example, uh, a pass that maybe shouldn't have been thrown. But again, especially in half-court sets, I think Memphis deserves a little more credit for feeding into what the Warriors wanted to do and taking advantage of it because that was a known weakness going in to this series and this overall playoffs, at least in terms of the, of the Warriors. And another thing I wanted to uh, point out and ask you about is the fact that the Warriors didn't shoot that far below their season percentages. Uh, they actually were only two points off, I believe, and they were only maybe less than a point in terms of their three-point average. So in terms of shooting percentage, they had an average night. Now, Steph wasn't quite Steph. Jordan Poole was the biggest one you could probably point at who struggled the most offensively. But again, Clay Thompson was productive, at least in terms of the early parts of the game. And I, I just really think that the perspective of this being the Warriors not being interested, you can't, in my opinion, Fred, say, okay, this is a team that has championship ambitions. They have a championship mentality. Look at this experience. That was the, that was the, Look at Steph Curry and all of that championship swagger and the DNA that Draymond Green possesses. Look at that forged in the fires of championships. You know, I heard all sorts of stuff from blogs and media. This is this is gold. This is Warriors basketball. And then in game five, when an older team who is about to be playing their third game in five nights during the playoffs 
traveled from California to Memphis. Now they're going back to California. To me, that impacts them more than it impacts the Grizzlies because they are an older team. They have more, more tread on the tires. They are literally not in the same speed and athleticism category as the Grizzlies. So I guess this is all just a long-winded venting opportunity at you, uh, vomiting words at this stage. I'm frustrated that teams, even with Memphis doing what they did, I don't think that the Grizzlies are getting enough credit for doing what they did. You've watched Golden State. You've watched Memphis. You said it was both. Going into game six, and we'll talk more about the actual keys of the game in the next segment, how confident should Grizzlies fans feel that what transpired in game five not the shooting, because obviously Memphis shot better than they normally do. But Memphis was the best rebounding team in the NBA. Memphis was the best assist per game team in the NBA or, or total assist. Memphis was the best team in the NBA in stocks, steals and blocks. They dominated in those areas. I think they can do that again, and I feel like them being written off is a mistake going into game six. Yeah, I don't know if they're written off after last night. I don't I, I don't think you can really write them off after last night. The thing that I will say that I think is sustainable, not to the degree that it happens, but uh and you mentioned it is is the turnovers. And not just the turnovers, but also the offensive boards. I mean, the reason that the Grizzlies were is not the reason the Grizzlies were good, but the reason the Grizzlies were as good as they were this year was because, like you said, they value possessions and they dominate the possession game like no other team in the league. And that's how they make up for the fact that, by the way, they don't really take threes. Last night, for example, you talk about Golden State didn't shoot great. Memphis shot, I think, 18 for 41 from three. They were yeah. just bombing in threes. And one of the strategies that the Warriors have pulled on them in this series is they're helping off of their shooters. They're trying to take away the paint. Even with John not there, they're trying to take away the paint. They're saying the Grizzlies prefer to take all those floaters. They prefer to take shots around the rim. They have about 900 guys who want to take those 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 little push shots with Brandon Clark and Tyus Jones. Nine dudes who all want to take those floaters. Bain will take them. Adams will throw up a floater every once in a while. Like everyone wants to take one of those floaters. And they want to take away those shots. They want to take away that shot selection. They want to kind of repurpose the Grizzlies to more uncomfortable positions. And I I, I asked. Taylor Jenkins about that leading into game four, just kind of asking him like your guy's shot selection has not mimicked what it was during the regular season. Are you, are you pleased with, with what you guys have been taking or would you rather get back to what you were doing during the regular season? And and what he said, it made sense. You know, he, he said, you know, these are the shots that the defense is giving us. And if, if those threes are open, then they got to take them. And, and, you know, things look a lot different when you hit your threes too, because in, in game four, they lose that game by three points. They shoot nine of 35. And then last night, obviously the difference was not made beyond the three point line, but they shoot 18 of 41. Things just look a lot different when you're making your threes and it goes the other way too. It goes the other way for golden state. If they have a blow up game from three or they have a game like they did in game four, when they shot nine of 37. The thing that I think is sustainable, which you mentioned, is the possession game. It's the offensive rebounds and and it's the turnovers. They they created twenty. They were plus twenty seven in possessions last game, and through three quarters they were plus thirty, meaning they out rebounded them eighteen uh, out offensive rebounded Golden State eighteen to four, and they won the turnover battle uh, twenty two to nine. I think, 
and 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 five of those turnovers were meaningless in the fourth quarter considering garbage time started halfway into the third when they pulled all the starters so they they really had when it mattered three or four turnovers the whole game and some of that is on the way the grizzlies play some of that is just on the mere existence of tyus jones uh they're very good at forcing turnovers they're very good at not turning it over uh and when you create Okay, so they averaged 1.14 points per possession during the regular season, 114.3 points per 100. It's like, I think, fourth in the NBA. You repurposed over 27 possessions in a game. That's that's 31 points that you're getting spotted. That's a that's a huge difference. You have to hit, you, you could hit 10 threes, 10 more threes than your opponent and still not overcome those 31 points. I mean, that is a giant difference to have to make up at the three-point line and at the free throw line. You can create that, you're going to win the game. You're just you're just going to. You're going to win the game. But being able to create that large of a disparity in possessions is obviously ridiculously difficult. The fact that they were able to do that against a really good team, even one that turns it over as much as Golden State and goes as small as Golden State and didn't play well, the fact they were able to do that in a playoff game, to me, is incredible. That That is, that is ridiculous. You are not going to lose if you have 27 extra possessions. You're just not going to. And to me, I don't think that number is sustainable. I, I don't know. I'm not going to go back and look at every playoff game ever, but I wonder when the last time a team was plus 27 in possessions. It had to have been a long time ago because that's wild. Uh, but I think that trend in general, the Grizzlies winning the possession game is sustainable. And if they they steal game six in Golden State and then they win in Memphis, my guess is they will be a net positive in possessions in both of those games, and that will probably be the leading reason for them doing it. That is the way. I think you're exactly right. And that's pretty good Grizzlies breakdown for a Knicks guy. I'm impressed. That's good stuff. I'm a Grizzlies guy now, man. Nah, that's what I, I like. I, I, am, I am a prominent member of the Grizzlies media space. That's true, especially now that, you've, uh, in, now that you have made your debut on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I mean, that is, like you said, that's the – the birthing place, I'm, the proving I'm ground. Here now I want, I want residuals <laughs> when these episodes get syndicated. I want everything. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, I can't wait for that syndication money. That's going to be great. Uh, we're talking with Fred Katz here at Fred Katz with a Z on Twitter. Uh, he is the New York Knicks beat writer for the Athletic, but he's covering the Grizzlies for this playoff run for the Athletic. He does a great job uh, covering them. Um, big fan of his work. Make sure you're following Fred at Fred Katz. Uh, before we move on to Game Six. I wanted to get your overall takeaways from comparing what the Grizzlies have been able to do through these first five games to what the Warriors have been able to do. Both teams have been blown out, right? I think it's fair to you could probably throw away game five. You can probably throw away game three. You know, the Grizzlies played really poorly in game three. Warriors are red hot. Warriors were playing the way they want to play. Game five was the exact opposite, right? Golden State was not doing what they wanted to do. That was probably the perfect Grizzly standard game for Memphis in game five, for all the reasons you just outlined. So throw those three games out. Game one, John Morant misses the layup at the end. Golden State wins. Game two, Memphis is victorious, obviously, but it's close. And then you've got game four where the Grizzlies are in the lead late, again, without John Morant, and they fumble the bag, so to speak, with Steph Curry obviously being Steph Curry. Draymond Green makes a key defensive play late, the championship DNA that everybody talked about. Through five games, who do you think the better team is? I still think it's Golden State. I you're gonna you're 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 gonna mock me, but I I believe in the championship. I, I would never dream of mocking you. Never. 
it's i believe in the championship dna in a in a less uh in a more tangible way i just i think golden state has has not played as well as they're capable of in too many of these games in this series and i also just anticipate that a team that gets so embarrassed in a playoff game is going to come as locked in as a team can possibly be in a game six at home. Uh, and I think that goes for Curry. And I think that goes for Draymond. And I think that goes for, uh, you know, I think that goes for, for clay and, and, and for Jordan Poole and for everybody else. I, I think it's golden state, but I wouldn't bet my life on it. Um, especially with jaw out. I mean, look, I know, I know they're, they're obviously a good team without, with without jaw there's there's no debating that at this point they're 21 and 6 if you include the regular season and postseason games without him uh you know jaw ja had a negative net rating on the season uh they had that 10 and 2 run without him uh you know the defense gets better the turnovers go down when tyus jones is on the floor man they 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 turn it over 12 times per 100 possessions which is if that figure belonged to a team it would be the lowest figure in the NBA. I mean, it's not just that Tyus Jones never turns the ball over. It's that when Tyus Jones is on the floor leading your offense, your team never turns the ball over. Like he actually has a trickle down effect on the rest of the team where he's not just not turning it over and, and because he's not touching it or because he's, he's making unaggressive decisions or whatever else. I think sometimes no turnovers can be the absence of, of any action. And I think with him, it's the absence of negative actions, which is a, a pretty, it's why he's such an unbelievably solid point guard. Um, so they're good and they defend like crazy when they don't have him out there. And, and especially in a playoff series, there's not really anyone to target. There are plays where the Warriors will target John a pick and roll. They're not going to target Tyus Jones and they're not going to target Dylan Brooks. And you know, he, you're not going to target Desmond Bain, who is, who is is overcoming his short arms every single second that he he defends somebody like there there just aren't really guys for them to target and and also like the thing that's interesting about the matchup stuff which I know I'm thinking out loud here I'm thinking out loud so I'm all over the place I still that's think what Golden TV State live is for you're good exactly I think Golden State is going to win the series when people talk about the matchup stuff they talk about the possession game where the Warriors turn it over a lot the Grizzlies force a lot of turnovers the Grizzlies don't turn it over a lot and the Grizzlies get a lot of offensive rebounds and the Warriors go small, like we just talked about. And they talk about that. And when they talk about the Grizzlies not being a good matchup for the Warriors, talk about youth versus age and all that kind of stuff. One thing that I think is interesting too, and I haven't really written about this, so I'm contributing to the non-conversation about this. When Ja was there, I, I think with the personnel the Warriors have when they go small, you would expect them to kind of run pick and rolls at Ja. And one of the things that makes it easier for for uh, the Grizzlies defensively, even when it comes to like playing Stephen Adams and having him out there for his offensive rebounds and not having to worry about him defending in space, is the Warriors just don't really run pick and roll. They just don't do it. They they run less pick and roll than any team in the league that has an elite point guard. They they just don't do it. Every other team that has an elite point guard, the Grizzlies or the Hawks or, or the, the Suns just go down the list, runs way more pick and roll than Golden State. So you're not really putting Steven Adams in, in space to defend and that kind of stuff because the Warriors are a team that's just like they're going to do what they do. 
and they'll make some lineup adjustments and that kind of stuff, but, but they're not going to change their identity. They're not going to change their overall schemes of what makes them comfortable because they believe our best stuff is going to be your best stuff. And, and that's what we're going to do. And you know what? I think Steve Kerr is a phenomenal coach. Who am I to argue with that? Our best stuff is going to be your best stuff has won them the West five times. So obviously it works. I just think that's an interesting part of the matchup perspective too. That being said, that game four still sticks with me. No jaw. It's just really hard for them to find. And I realize this sounds ridiculous after a game, they just won by 39, but it's really hard for them to conjure up the firepower to go with golden state for three straight games. Like that's, that's really, really tough. If jaw were still there, I think it's a different conversation, but like, you know, we saw game two, like so the other guys are struggling to score. Fine. Jaw's going to reel off 15 consecutive points. Then the thing. Uh, and, and I just think, I think at some point in a playoff series, you need that guy against when you're going against an elite team and everybody who's remaining is an elite team. Uh, so I think it's, it's golden state. Um, but the Grizzlies have something good going championship DNA. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I think that most folks would agree with you. And I think the logical response is exactly what you said. I went into this saying Memphis, I struggled seeing the Grizzlies losing game five. I didn't have them winning by 39. Uh, but I, I struggled with seeing Memphis lose game five. Game six is the key. And I think you make a fair point about game four. If Jaws on the floor in game four, that game's not lost. I, I don't think you could say that Golden State plays any better. Maybe they score a couple more points here or there. Uh, but I, I think that Memphis is still able to do what they want to do, and Jaw is able to counter what Steph did. And I think Memphis wins game four. It doesn't slip away. And then game five, like we're looking at a different 3-2, uh, I think, if Jaw's there in game four. But you could go all the way back to game one and the missed layup. And to me, that is where you know th- there's a lot of balance with this series. I think it's closer than folks – in, in the national media, not necessarily you, but again, going to inside in the A, the fact that no one from ESPN picked the Grizzlies, half of them, I think, said Warriors in five. Uh, I just feel like Memphis has kind of been overrated or underrated, excuse me, in this series. They won 56 games. You know, that was tied for the best in the franchise's history. They were capable of doing things that nobody else had them doing, and uh, I, I'm done betting against them. I think game six is going to be tough, and we'll talk more about that coming back. Uh, in our next segment, here with Fred Katz of The Athletic, previewing Game 6. You're listening to GBB Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Joe Mullinax. Parker's not with me today. Parker Fleming, my associate editor and co-host, he will be back on the next episode. Um, I'm joined by Fred Katz of The Athletic. He usually covers the New York Knicks. He's been covering the Grizzlies during this playoff run for The Athletic, doing a really good job, and I've really enjoyed his work covering the playoffs. So i Asked if he'd come on. He's been gracious with his time. Uh, we're going to finish up here with this, Fred. You already kind of alluded to it. I have a feeling I, I know how you're going to answer this question, the last question. But the second to last question for you is about my GBB Live question of the day, a poll that I tweet almost every time that we do a podcast. Uh, I do a question of the day poll. And I say, what category will be most important for Memphis to win if the Grizzlies hope to force a game seven against the Warriors? So this is assuming the Grizzlies win. Like I said, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say at the end here. But let's assume Memphis wins game six. Which of these four categories is going to be most important in your opinion? I've got rebounding, which won the poll. Thanks to everybody that voted. Uh, rebounding won with 61% of the votes. Stocks, steals, slash blocks, 
Memphis was up 16 to eight in that category in game five. So they doubled up the Warriors. That finished second with 20% of the vote. Turnovers, which we talked about a lot in the first segment, finished third. Uh, and then assists were fourth. Uh, Memphis, I think, had 15 more assists than Golden State did in the game um, on Wednesday night. So which of those four statistical categories do you think is most important for Memphis to win if they want to force a game seven? Yeah, it's either turnovers or rebounds. Um, I think I would probably say turnovers because, yeah, I think I would probably say turnovers because you, you have a higher offense. You you have a higher offensive efficiency in transition than you do on second chance opportunities. So if if I'm I'm just breaking it down mathematically. So I, I'm going to get even more specific. I'm going to break the rules of the poll because I don't have to subscribe to the rules of the poll. I can say whatever I want here. Really, that's true. And you can't stop me. I so can't. I'm, I'm going to say specifically live ball turnovers, like steal. Well, you know what? I guess maybe I could say steals and blocks. Maybe that really is it. Because if they can, maybe I could especially say for a team with Jaron Jackson Jr. on it. Yes, for sure. Although if Jaron Jackson Jr. gets block happy, sometimes that means he gets foul happy. I I Very wonder true. if Jaron Jackson Jr. is is due for kind of a like a like a like a Serge Ibaka sort of reform where like Ibaka young young Serge Ibaka was blocking shots like crazy and he was fouling so much and when Ibaka be started I mean look Jaron Jackson Jr. is already a great defender I'm not saying he's not he obviously is but you want him to be able to play more than 27 minutes so you can get more than 27 minutes of great defense and also so you're not putting your team you know in the bonus every game and I wonder if if like like when Ibaka really became the best version of himself, first team all defense, and was top two or three, never won a defensive player of the year award, but there are a lot of smart people who thought he should have and finished second or third a couple times, and those weren't his best block seasons. He reformed it, and he was he was blocking two shots a game instead of three, uh, and the fouls came down, and he became a better rebounder too because he wasn't necessarily out of position by by jumping for for you know blocks that he didn't necessarily need to. And I think Jaron Jackson is a better, much better defender now than he was when Ibaka was at that stage. I just, I wonder if that sort of reform, like we'll look at Jaron Jackson when he's at his peak defensively, which I don't think he is, by the way. I mean, he's 22 years old. Uh, I, I imagine he's like three years away from that. But I wonder if when he gets to his peak defensively, if we'll, he'll be like blocking half the shots that he blocks now and we'll be saying, Oh, you know what? There's no question. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a significantly better defender than he was three years ago, as everybody agreed to with Ibaka. I wonder if we're in for that. Uh, but yeah, you know what? I'll I'll go out on the limb. I think I'm going to say steals and blocks just because winning the possession game is great. But if you can win the possession game and you can get out running, man, that's that's huge, especially when when Adams is on the floor. Adams' offensive rebounding does does so much for like for 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 everything um in just like golden state having to throw everybody at him or i should say his, his rebounding overall does so much for everything with golden state just having to throw so many bodies at him uh and it it helps your transition defense and it helps your transition offense because now golden state is going to the rim to try to throw bodies at him the whole time which is the opposite direction of where they're going in transition uh and so maybe maybe I'll go on the limb. Maybe I'll say steals and blocks. Look, you want to play discipline. You don't want to just be gambling like crazy. But 
like nine dudes out of steel yesterday. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a really big thing. And it just gets you better shots. Even if you're not scoring on the break, like it gets bad matchups. And and now all of a sudden you got Jordan pool guarding Steven Adams. Cause he has to pick him up in transition. It's like, and you got things that you can do. And yeah, maybe I'll say that. Maybe I'll say that it's a little, a little, a little wrinkle of, of the turnover game, but the answer well, could be rebounds. That's a, that, that totally could be that. I agree with you that it's one of those two. And I think I agree that it's stocks because Memphis is at their best when they're out in transition and they're creating those extra possibilities. So against an, a Golden State offense that, again, shot relatively well. So I, I, I hesitate to say they're going to shoot better. They shot their average. They shot what would largely be expected, maybe a little bit less expected. Um, but Clay shot the best he has in the entire series, I think, in terms of his effect, uh, effectiveness. So that's probably part of why it balanced out. Um, I, I'm with you on the stocks. I think that gets them into their rhythm. That allows them to play the style they want to play. Everything else kind of falls into place after that. Uh, we're finishing up here with Fred Katz of The Athletic, at Fred Katz on Twitter. Fred, get you out of here on this. Like I said, I think I know how you're going to answer this. Uh, game six, Friday night, how do you see it playing out? Give us your uh, maybe your main key. Uh, to the game and then your prediction. Yeah, I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go. Golden State wins a close one, and uh, just to just to not touch on things that we've already touched on and give a little something new. All right, I'm going to call this up right now so that I can actually have it. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of like stephen curry looking like stephen curry and maybe maybe that injury that was plaguing him early in the, the playoffs fourth quarter of game four he looked like stephen curry yes he did yes he did but there hasn't been a lot of it well because uh, he's being defended by dylan brooks in game but, three he looked like steph curry because he wasn't being defended by dylan brooks all right so in this series stephen curry shooting 32 percent from three that's the key is if if Steph Curry starts to look like has a Stephen Curry game, which he has not had a major Curry game, like he has not made more than five threes in a game yet this series. Game four, he shot four for 14 from three. Like he has not had a Curry game yet this series. And sometimes it just doesn't matter how well you defend Stephen Curry. You know, he's just one of those guys who he's going to destruct you if he's in the mood of destruction and he's in his own. Uh, so maybe the key, in, I mean, look, really the key is can they win the possession game? But we've talked about that 900 times. So so I, I think I'm just going to go with a key on the other side, which is if the Warriors can get Curry going and Curry starts to look like, oh, crap, it's a Curry game. I think that's really hard for the Grizzlies to overcome because, like I said, they just there's not a guy who's, who's really going to match that in all likelihood. You know, Bain could go off. Bain could go off. We haven't really talked about Desmond Bain, how much better his his back looked. Like he was moving so he much better. He looked 10 times better. And for me, Desmond Bain's the key. Because while I, I disagree uh, on the Steph Curry stuff, to me the key for the Warriors to get Steph Curry going is to get in Dylan Brooks' head, which you've watched enough Grizzlies basketball at this stage. That's not – Dylan Brooks is mentally tough. Dylan Brooks also thinks he's better than he is, and that's part of what makes him what he is. I would describe Dylan Brooks as affected. Yeah, I think that's fair. I like that. I think that's a good description. So if they could get him into foul trouble, obviously no one else can really hang because Curry struggles with the fact that Brooks's long frame 
can stay with him relatively well. Steph's quicker than Dylan, but Dylan's also very good at playing the the trail technique defensively and still making some impact well, on the shot. He's very good guarding screens. Yes, right. He's willing to fight right. through when it. Was, he doesn't shy away from that physicality. Right. When I was when I was covering the Wizards, uh, Bradley Beal used to talk about how Dylan Brooks was the toughest defender on him because he was because Beal is such a he's such a user of screens right. every time he'll run off pin downs and, and then he'll run pick and rolls. And it's like Beal just always, he he's really good at using basically every single kind of screens. Like even mm-hmm. when he just like come off a pin down, come off a flare, he'll, he'll run a pick and roll. He'll, he'll try to back cut guys out of pick and rolls. Like he just, he loves using screens and Dylan Brooks is such a pest on screens. So I, yeah. I think like, you know, Beal's a, you know, a, a great, player and a 30 point scorer multiple times. And he's a guy who always said like Dylan Brooks is the guy who just gave him the most trouble always. So I think for me, looking at this game, Desmond Bain is the key because Curry is not, I don't think he's going to have a Steph Curry game because I don't know that he can with Dylan Brooks if he's able to stay on the court, but I do think he'll shoot better than he did in game five. I think that's a fair logical thing to say. They're going to need Bain to do more than he did and he did well. I mean, he scored 21 points on 12 shots. It's hard to ask for much more efficiency-wise. But I think Bain is going to be needed to be a 30-ish point scorer, or at least you're going to need Jaron to, to make up even more. They both scored 21. Tyus scored 21. I think you're just going to need a little more from those two in particular, Jaron and Bain, to counteract that championship DNA that, that Steph Curry uh, possesses. Fred, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it, it is awesome to have had this chance to talk with you. Uh, obviously, you're predicting Golden State, like you said. I'm predicting Memphis. I went uh, Grizzlies in seven to begin with, so I'm going to stick with that as long as it can still possibly be true. Uh, it's going to be a great game, I think. I think Golden State will want to show some pride and compete a little bit better, and I think uh, Memphis is going to not lie down. I don't think they're going to take it. So the Grizzlies or the Golden State Warriors will have to take it from the Grizzlies. They can. They have the physical ability to. It'll be interesting to see if they can counteract the physicality of Memphis. Fred, thank you again so much. Uh, hopefully we can have you back on down the road. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's Fred Katz. Ladies and gentlemen, subscribe on iTunes, on or iTunes, Apple Podcasts. There's not even iTunes anymore. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, iHeart, however you get your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribing to the GBB Podcast Network. Make sure you're continuing to make grizzlybearblues.com part of your Memphis Grizzlies experience, features, game coverage, all sorts of different things. We have Grizz Gaming pieces going up. We cover the Memphis Grizzlies organization better than anybody does top to bottom. Um, For Fred, again, thank you to Fred for joining me. I'm Joe Mullinax. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.